Welcome back, everyone. Um, welcome to episode six of the CarvaCast. This is a weekly podcast, an initiative of the Carver Project. And just to remind you, the goal of the podcast is to engage with Christian faculty in higher education. We'll highlight their work, their teaching, their journey to teaching and research, um, all in an attempt to bridge those connections between university, church, and society. My name is Penina Achayo-Laker, and I'm here once again with my most esteemed co-host, John Inazu. We're both faculty at Washington University in St. Louis and fellows with the Carver Project. Today, I'm really excited and honored that we get to spend some time with Pablo Tarasaga. Pablo, I hope I got that right. Welcome to the CarverCast. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and sharing this time with you guys. Uh, it's so good to have you, Pablo. We uh, we met a few years ago when I was out at Virginia Tech, and you hosted me for a series of talks, and it was just so great to get to know you and your family and a bit about what you're doing. And I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, sharing that with with uh, on this podcast today some of that. So maybe as to get to get us going, can you just sort of tell us what you do in terms of your research and teaching, uh, scholarship, that sort of thing? Yes. Um... So well, I am a faculty in mechanical engineering, and I think that's my, my major hat. I work in the area of what it's called vibrations or structural dynamics. So we just study how systems oscillate in the real world, and we try to build mathematical models that represent that. And I also teach that. I do research in that area. But I'm also a residential faculty in the Honors Residential Commons, and that is in uh, one of the buildings and one of the dorms, which we now we call residential halls here at Virginia Tech. So I have these two jobs. Uh, one is more embedded in a community, a living, learning community in the Honors Residential Commons, and the other one is mainly me as a professor teaching and doing research and having graduate students. Oh, that's great. Uh, Panina knows by now that I am a, a refugee from engineering. My undergraduate major was civil engineering. And after, you know, met too many long semesters of all those classes you just mentioned, I uh, I went on to, you know, I won't say greener pastures, just different things. But, but how, so tell us a bit about your journey to becoming an engineering professor. Maybe even like, when did you first decide that this was, or discover that this was a, a passion that, that would, that could take a part of a big part of your life? Yeah, that is a, a very interesting story. I think for me, it, my journey has been very long. Uh, my dad is a math professor. Um, and so I grew up in the university environment. And I grew up watching my dad interact with his profession as well as with his students. Um, his students were very regularly at our house. And I saw my dad, you know, interacting both with the discovery of knowledge and that pursuit and the pursuit of research, as well as with the personal relationships he had with his students. And so I think I can go as back as six years old, wanting to be a professor and following my dad's footsteps, uh, which is a very long time at this point. Um, and, and I think, you know, I just kept chasing that Kate, you know, following that through school. And then, uh, when I went to undergraduate, the possibilities to go to grad school came up and I actually did my master's and my PhD here at Virginia tech. And so those things kept, you know, moving in that direction. And I did have my doubts at some point where I almost went, um, to the industry, but I kind of still enjoyed that basic, you know, pursuit of knowledge and that openness to, chart my own way, yet still be in community very heavily. Mm. And so I think all that led me to be um, a professor, an assistant professor today, an associate professor. And I, I think I want to just keep going in that direction. 
That's that's really great to hear, Pablo. And I'm curious about uh, now that you get to wear all these multiple hats and you get to have that more personal student relationship um, while at, while you're a resident faculty and then also getting to be the professor in the classroom. How how has juggling those two sort of roles um, continued to shape your journey through higher ed? Yeah, well, I mean, it, they've been very different roles, but I think they both have been very much aligned with what I thought the university um, should be or is. I mean, I, I guess the historical context of the university has been very different in the U.S., especially with, you know, the Johns Hopkins coming up and changing to a more um, research-oriented university. But I kind of always felt that I wanted to be part of a, uh, you know, a university that, you know, really went after the the thought of the mind, the holistic formation of the student. And so I've, I've always balanced that in terms of my own um, student relationships with my graduate students and how I engaged my undergraduate teaching and graduate teaching. But then when I came and, and we moved as a family to uh, the Honors Residential Commons, I mean, those things became more evident on how to interact with students. And, and it became a little bit... Um, I guess for the last lack of better language, you know, not the STEM um, sciencey ways of looking at life, but a little bit more on the uh, social science and, and that aspect. And so it, it became kind of it, funny enough, they both feed off each other because uh, I learned how to interact better with students, how to be more part of their life and how to bring that into the classroom and then how to challenge my own students in my own standard um, STEM oriented classes to think more widely and more broadly about their education. And so I've tried to like bring both of those in, but um, again, I'm not sure I answered your question. No, that's great. <laughs> Well, and, you know, as you're talking too, and just so, you know, people listening understand, you, you and your family are literally living in the dorms, right? I mean, you have, you have, thankfully, you have more than a typical college dorm room for your living space, but you're in the dorms with, with, with these students. And there's something, I mean, there's a, there's a real vulnerability to sharing mm-hmm. your life in the day. There's no, uh, you're there all the time and, and they, you see them differently and they see you differently. And I, um, so you're right that that certainly helps you understand them better in terms of teaching, but even just your whole experience as a human being, I'm sure is profoundly shaped by this. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, you, you can't hide, uh, you can't have that um, disconnect with your students that you can have if you so wish in a classroom, which is to teach the material and to walk away um, and so it really challenges you to be more open uh, for students to also uh, be able to approach you, um, for you to also understand the complexities of their life. And I think, you know, one of the great things that we try to do here is to really break down those barriers so that students also feel more comfortable engaging with faculty. And if they do it with me and with the other faculty that we bring to the community, then they'll also do it with their own teachers that are teaching the regular everyday classes. And so I think, you know, as, as I think back about the university itself, I think that the true learning experience comes from those relationships. You know, I think today modern age has shown that we can record classes and we can post them online and people can watch them. And we have to be careful that that might not be the education that we want to deliver. And not that it doesn't have its beautiful benefits and can streamline process and can allow people to you know, take classes remotely, 
But when we really think about the teaching process that happens both from student to faculty and from faculty to student, I think it comes from those relationships. And so by living in here, you know, my wife and my four kids and our dog and in a pretty decent apartment on the fourth floor of a residential hall, uh, we do get to engage in that way. And like you said, there is a, a big sense of vulnerability because you 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 live in front of them, they live in front of you, and you expect to have a lot of grace going in both directions because you can't just perform for 30 minutes in front of a class. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's something deeply mm-hmm. theologically incarnational about that too. I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking about uh, Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible and the message, and, and he renders John 1 as saying, you know, the word came and the word moved into the neighborhood. And it's just, it's always struck me as that is what Jesus is doing. And in some ways, you know, we're all called to be in relationship with, with the world around us, but you're doing this in a very tangible and, and, and uh, concrete way that involves, I think importantly, not just you, but your, as you said, your wife and your kids, your family is, is on the line as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, um, how do you, how do you think about sort of your present role as a as a Christian uh, in integrating teaching and residential living and all of these facets of your life? Well, I think you know we we have to be careful. Um, we're we're mainly stewards of the positions that we've been assigned by the university, and and first and foremost, I'm here to serve the students. I'm here to um, you know provide them with resources and education, both in the classroom and in our residential hall. and But with that comes the fact that myself, as much as the students, we bring our own lives into the mix, you know, and those lives are very different. They come from very different uh, walks of life, and they also come with very different worldviews. And how we interact and how to do, you know, we respect each other and how we find those um, intersections where we can talk about great things and work together even across differences is I think very important aspect of life and and being a Christian is just part of my identity it's just like some of them might be and some of them might not be and so we're here in a way to serve our, our university motto is Utprosum, that I may serve and so we're here primarily to serve them to to walk with them and of course, when, you know, conversations get interesting, you know, our worldviews come out and so do theirs. And we get to have some very deep and interesting conversations. Yeah, that's 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 essentially like it makes me think about just um, the, the fruits of the spirit, you know, and uh, walking in kindness, um, faithfulness, just like basic principles, love, joy, peace. And um, I'd imagine that position really allows you to think about how to live out your life that way by example and and I think that you know being a, a, a Christian faculty on campus is not so much you know walking around saying oh I'm a Christian and you know but it's how it's how you live your life and it's how you care for your neighbors and others um, and, and and it strikes me that that's that's what you're doing in this role being that close to uh, to students so that's really great. Um, I'd like to take you back to the classroom a little bit, if that's okay. Sure, um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, um, not that I would necessarily understand all the mechanics of what you teach, but I'd love to hear if you have um, a favorite class, um, what, why that's your favorite class, uh, what, what the, that environment in the classroom is like, and mm. if you wouldn't mind sharing that. Oh, Absolutely. 
Yeah, so sometimes you got to be careful with professors when you open that door, right? <laughs> <laughs> we have we've long studied one subject forever, so we can talk about it for a long time. So <laughs> let me let me just share a little bit about that. You're right. So I study I study basically vibrations, and one of the easiest ways to look at it and most common is the fact that we're able to talk to each other through the fact that we vibrate our vocal cords and turn them into acoustics. Or if you play an instrument, you get to see those vibrations. And so my classes and probably my favorite class is to teach my undergraduate vibrations and my graduate level vibrations uh, classes. And we study basically um, bodies and how they vibrate, whether it's a jet engine or a car or a string on a guitar. Mm -hmm. And we look at how do we build fundamental models of those using mathematics which is something very beautiful to me, I guess maybe because my dad's a mathematician, that we can describe these um, very intricate systems with this very beautiful math. And then we get to, you know, use those models to make predictive behaviors and analyze structures and, and understand how they work. And, you know, mainly a lot of the times vibrations engineers get called when things go wrong. And so there's a lot of examples like bridges collapsing and earthquakes bringing down buildings. And those are all examples of catastrophic versions of vibration as well. And so I get to study with my students, um, you know, what are the basics approaches to modeling these systems? How do we analyze them? How do we mitigate those vibrations? Or sometimes how do we use these vibrations for uh, positive purposes like communication? And one of, for example, one of our projects right now is funded by the National Science Foundation, and we're trying to um, mitigate and restore hearing in people who've undergone hearing loss due to the fact that they have these little hair cells inside their ear that that translate vibrations into electrical impulses into their brain. And so we can model those. We can maybe one day replace those with mechanical versions that could do the same thing. So there's kind of an idea from, you know, the basics of teaching all the way to the how that might represent itself in some of my research projects. So I enjoy doing that. But something that I've done in the past five or six years that I think has made my classes a little bit more interesting is that we've brought in a, a homework assignment uh, during that goes throughout the entire semester on what we call character development. Mm -hmm. and, and that's interesting. Usually, yeah, we get a reaction of that sort. And uh, students are charged with understanding a little bit about um, things like character, honor, virtue, integrity, and how those start to fit into their degree and their discipline. And what I really try to do in class is to really try to poke at whether in their four years in the at the university, they have really thought more holistically about their education. Have they taken logic and philosophy and history to try to understand their worldview and how from their worldview they actually exercise engineering and they exercise the field of vibration. And that has been very, very much welcomed and has sparked very good conversations. And that has been maybe why those classes have become one of my favorite classes as well. I love that. And as you're talking, you know, as you're describing that core part of your teaching, I was reminded of a, a friend and colleague of ours here at Washington University, who's also part of the Carver Project, uh, Kristen Van Engen, who's a linguist, and her her area of focus in uh, linguistics and also brain sciences is, to, is, is, uh, is about speech perception, particularly with those uh, with hearing impairment and, you know, lots of laboratory work from a very different angle of what you're describing and yet focusing in on a, a very similar 
human interaction. And it's just, I love the, uh, one of the things that's been most fun about this podcast is realizing how these interdisciplinary connections are really meant to work and how the expertise and the skill sets that God has given us really do take apart a small piece of creation, but then actually work and talk to many other giftedness around us. So it's, it's great to hear you say that. John, I'm also struck in, in a lot of ways um, hearing Pablo talk about how math is beautiful. And I'm reminded of Francis Sue last week and how he was, he used the same words. He said, math is beautiful. And there's this whole playful side of math and, um, and thinking about, you know, infinite possibilities and finding patterns and, and just like the way you're talking about, you know, vibrations and mm-hmm. you're painting a picture for us. And, and that really struck me, but then also um, talking about how important it is then for your students to, to understand the larger like perspective and worldview and be able to, to communicate why what they're studying is important and why it fits um, in our lives. So that really struck me. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because it doesn't take much, I think, you know, a, a few questions of why and you find yourself very deep in a philosophical and theological mm. questioning of why things work. I think one of the things that really attracted me to the particular field that I am in was that I I did a model in a class and then I did an experiment and those two things matched. And then I had a big question and it was, why do they match? Mm. Why is it that we can bring in mathematical models and they start to represent the real world? And I think I would love for my students to ask themselves those questions of more deeper meaning, you know, and it's okay. I guess you can run those models and be oblivious to why they match and you can still do your work. But when you sit there and you you look at this math and this infrastructure that's there, I, I mean, if you, you if you were to talk to my dad, he'd say, you know, in the end, we're all architect, um, we're all archaeologists. All we do is we we scurry around looking for answers, and some of them work and some of them don't. And it seems that why they work is already ingrained in the system. And you know, we do kind of this very similar stuff. We model things in the lab and, and we run mathematical models and they start to match and you start to ask yourself some really big questions and why is this even possible? Um, and I think, you know, you want to take students there. You want to have them explore, you know, by themselves and ask themselves these hard questions and, and build a worldview that has to somewhat match this reality that they're seeing. Mm, yeah, you know, as you're talking, I was, it was it took me back to my own, undergraduate engineering classes and and for me it would never I never got to that level right so all I was trying to do was to solve the problem and I, I, could, right. I could never I could never grasp the theory that brought the problem into uh, you know really I, I, we're really talking about is a, a better understanding of how the created order and why it works a certain mm-hmm. way and you know, for me, that clicked a little better with law, which I guess is a good thing since that's what I do now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do, yeah, the description you're, you you have there of the difference between somebody who's just working through a formula or checking a box versus someone who has a deep understanding of why things happen the way they do. That's great. Mm-hmm. You, um, Pablo, I'm, I'm assuming that you were at Virginia Tech as probably a graduate student when the shootings occurred in 2007. Is that, is that right? Yes, I was here. I, well, I was, um, I was a graduate student at that time. 
um, in that day, I happened to be at a conference near Richmond. Um, we were part of the Virginia Space Grant Consortium, and we um, we I was, so I was physically not here, although my wife was in town that day. I wonder if if you could share a bit about maybe the. I mean, I, I'm assuming that the the this is probably still embedded in in the Virginia Tech community. So, uh, you know, thir- thirteen years later, um, but just the experience of going through that as a community and whether anything you want to say really about walking through that with friends, neighbors, and colleagues. Yeah, it was, I mean, of course it's, it's one of those experiences that you don't want to have and it stays in your mind kind of forever. It's embedded into, um, I think our culture here at Virginia tech, not only is it in our thoughts, but it's in our memorials and, and it's, uh, you know, we get together, um, once a year and celebrate, you know, the people that, um, uh, passed and we, you know, we honor them by remembering them and we have activities. Um, so it, it's very, it's very much present here. It's maybe woven into the fabric. Could we say, um, uh, what we've gone through uh, for, for us, it was, you know, personally, I was a graduate student, uh, at that time. I actually had an appointment that day to go to that building, uh, to pick up something from a machine shop. And of course, uh, due to the conference that I had to be in near Richmond, um, I was not there. And we arrived that day at our conference. We started to speak and give our talks. And uh, little by little, you know, the news and the TVs around the conference venue we were in started to tune only to this. And at one point, we were approached by um, the Virginia Space Grant Consortium leadership. And these are scholarships given to students. And our only requirement was really to come once a year and present at this at this event. And they gathered all the Virginia Tech faculty and this, um, the Virginia Tech students, and they said, you know, you, you guys need to go home. Mm-hmm. And it was a really awkward moment to drive back um, from there, you know, probably two and a half, three hours away, um, back to town. And uh, well, knowing that my wife was, you know, in our townhome um, by herself, uh, you know, this was pre, you know, this uh, proliferation of smartphones. So we would stop every once in a while, make a phone call, get the latest updates, the the new tallies, you know, and it was four of us driving back. And I think it was, I don't think there was many words even uttered that entire trip and coming into town was nothing like I've ever seen before. There was cops lined up on both sides of the street, on both sides of the road uh, for miles as we drove into town. And so, I mean, There was a lot to process. There was a lot to deal with. Um, The media stayed way too long. We didn't want them here anymore at some point. Um, You know, it really really affects the community to its core. I'm I'm still trying to process. It's interesting because in 2007, that was me making my way to the U.S. for college for the first time. And... um, yeah, it's 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 one thing to read about these accounts, and I think you're the first person I've actually heard um, talk about um, that incident from that perspective and how that there's just the need for space to process, and like you said, the role of the media staying way too long. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's it's really tough. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, it, it's, you know, we had some very hard conversations. Of course, the, the, you know, the typical conversation is, 
if there's a God, why does this happen? And, mm-hmm. and so on. I mean, there was a lot of anger and, and there was a lot of rage and mm-hmm. there was a lot of beautiful community as well. There was a lot of support, um, you know, but it, it came a moment where, you know, things are happening. The media is here and, you know, 10 days later, they're still here. And I think what we all wanted at one point was for them to go away and to leave us alone. Mm-hmm. And, and it was kind of weird, you know, they would stop students, um, anywhere and everywhere to ask them questions and to, you know, and, and of course they're doing their job. I'm not, I'm not necessarily, uh, particularly against that, but you know, there's comes a point where you just need time to process. And I think that the community needed, needed to process a lot. We needed to understand what had happened and how we had reacted and how we would come together and, you know, you know how it was, were people building, their own support structures. And there was a lot of, you know, in the end, there was a lot of good questions about who we are and, and what we need to be and and what do we really believe? I mean, these are moments where you're shaken to the core. Mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, one thing that comes to mind too, Pablo, as you're talking is how as a, a professional educator, well, educators, all of us, one of the things we try to model for our students is holding intention our humanity with our professionalism and trying to figure out the balance between, uh, you know, persevering and pressing on in the middle of hard times on the one hand, and then also giving yourself a break or giving the space that you need. And I think even just uh, Penny and I taught a class this past semester in the spring. And as we think about uh, the classes resuming very soon this fall with a lot of our students, having a lot on their plates, you know, as we think mm-hmm. about nationally and with the health crisis and everything else. And so I'm wondering how you think about that tension and if you have any insights about how to, how you try to model for students, how to hold that together. Yeah. I mean, that that's like, that's the million dollar question. Yeah. John, and, and lucky for you, I have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. <laughs> it's going to cost you a lot more money. You know? <laughs> You know, I mean, joking aside, I mean, in, in, well, in a way, we do need a lot of joking because we need to somehow we need to also deal with the intrinsic tension that is coming upon us. I think, I think, you know, even having been through um, uh, such a horrible ordeal like the shootings at Virginia Tech, I think this fall is also challenging in its own ways. Um, you know, people keep talking about the fact that the pandemic's an issue, but I think we have, you know, three things coming to campus. You know, we have a lot of uh, social unrest um, as well. And there's also great opportunities with that social unrest to really make some headway um, in how we deal with the current issues on on racial injustice and so on. But we also have the elections coming in November. And so these three things at the same time, you know, I think we can read in history of these three in separate events. Um, in separate times and they're all coming together in a few months Mm -hmm. and I you know I think a lot about you know how do we support our students through this how do we do it in a way that we're happy um, to not only emulate but to show as an example um, for longevity how we came together with our differences how we coped with the pandemic with the social distancing but still kept in relationship how do we build those relationships so that when the elections come we can see each other's humanity um, and, you know, and how do we come together with um, our community members who are different than us and are struggling with racial injustice and how do we walk with them? So it's really hard to, 
you know, try to understand other people's shoes and empathize with them and then fight for their rights when you're not allowed to be close to them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, um, that, you know, the, the proximity, the personal relationships is why we moved to campus, um, and to, you know, um, you know, build all that with a lot of grace and understanding and move together with um, the different constituents that we have here in the building. And all of that is being challenged in so many different ways. And so, you know, we have to figure, we have to figure out very quickly how to mitigate that. And I think the people who can maneuver that will be successful, but in, you know, you can also see if they're not maneuvered correctly, there's, there can be a lot of strife. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as you're talking, Pablo, I was also thinking about how, so there are these three things, like you said, you know, our students are coming back with to campus to wrestle with. And 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 also I think like one of the connective pieces to that is the fact that they're coming back to wrestle with those three things with a community that they've been away from for a very long time. So, we've, you know, in, in, in having to like very quickly exit our campuses and go home dealing mm-hmm. with the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, students have had to 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 then wrestle with that and then with like you know the issues that uh we're facing as a nation um around racial justice they've had to deal with that in their own home and communities mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. have sort of maybe like forged um some new ways of thinking um some new found or heightened sense of uh, of activism and now to come back to a community where you might have to take a step back and just reconnect and build trust because mm-hmm. we don't know, you know, we can, we don't want to assume that they're all coming back and we're just all going to like, you know, it's your cohort and your, you know, your comrades in this together. You're going, they're going to sort of have to forge that connection once again. And, and what do you as an educator need to do to, to see that there is space for the students to reconnect and then sort of advance those conversations. And that's something that I'm, trying to think more thoughtfully about that there's probably going to need to be some space for my students to connect with each other mm-hmm. first build trust and then see how we can have these conversations right yeah but Benina, i think you're you're right on i think you know we, we have to we have to build back those relationships um we've been far away from each other for a very long time. I mean, one of the things that I love about our community in particular, where we live in, that the students, you know, have really uh, opened up to us. They, they, you know, we hang out, they know my children, they know my kids. And so I feel that we have a, a deeper connection and a platform on which we can have these conversations and these interactions. I mean, we, we love these students to death. Um, we, we see how they love our children and, and so we're really counting on that. But even so, when they arrive, we really need to work on building, like you said, that trust from which we can build everything else. If not, uh, I don't think anything's, anything's really going to work. Yeah, that trust piece is just so essential. Uh, we, um, we're we running up against the end of our time. This has uh. been such a great <laughs> conversation. Uh, like all of these, it just goes by so quickly. Um, but I wonder, Pablo, Maybe as a last thought, uh, since you did tell me you were going to give us the answer, <laughs> what, um, may, what, what is the, the hopeful word of encouragement that you will give to, stu- I mean, as we're speaking, students are moving into your dorm today, right? So you will mm-hmm. see them in a matter of minutes or hours. And what's mm-hmm. the, in, in light of all of the 
really challenging uh, obstacles uh, that you just named and we talked about today. What's what's the hopeful message to them as you greet them in the next few hours? Right, and and, and I think that'll be key. I th- I think first and foremost is is that we have to acknowledge the complexity of the problem. Um, we have to also uh, be embedded in their lives. So we hope to you know invite them to have a relationship with us to get to know us. And from there to build any anything we want and the kind of conversations that we will build upon that, I think will be much more uh, fruitful. So we, we as our family have decided that what we're here for is to open our house and to open our lives for students to come and join us in our journey, to let uh, them join us, um, let us join them in their journey. And I think from there, we can do anything. And I think from there, we can understand where they're coming from. We can understand their troubles and their sorrows and their happiness. And we can, you know, build that relationship on which we can do anything. And I really do think that if we do that, um, our fall could be actually a very fruitful one, a one that we able to tackle in this complexity, yet show an example of what it might be to, you know, exhibit grace with each other, work together in places uh, where we can actually work together and and don't have to um, necessarily compete or argue in, and then have because we've built those places where we can work together, have a lot more grace for when we go and encounter those difficult times. You know, that's my kind of message for the general population and students. And then when it comes to either Christian faculty or Christian students, I think we have a lot of people that have gone before us that have very different situations. You know, maybe chronologically, if we hit you know, C.S. Lewis in his article on the atomic age is a great example on, on how to deal with moments like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have Luther during the plague where he talks about how he will act and how he will help and serve and where he will restrain from, you know, helping spread <laughs> the plague. And then we have figures like Daniel who served a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, yet the value that the king saw in him made him be the most powerful man in the land. And so I think we can add a lot of value. We have um, a worldview that I think holds its own. And I think we, it's time for us to share that with everybody and, you know, share that in grace and share that in love and have a very good ear to listen to our students and what they're struggling with, build those relationships. And I think we might have a very, very good fall in the end. Well, you are not kidding when you said you had the answer. Right, right there. I know I'm just going to hit play for my students. Listen to this podcast. Just, just go listen to that podcast. That was awesome. Pablo, oh, thanks so much for being with us. It's been a joy to reconnect and uh, talk to you today. Thanks for taking time. Well, John and Panina, thank you very much. This was very oh. exciting. It's always nice to talk with people who are being thoughtful and trying to integrate you know, faith and life and do it in a responsible way that we add value to the community. Awesome. Thank you. And thanks.